This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. What I want to begin to do tonight is to look at some particular prophecies in regards to Yahweh's law. You know, if you want to get people to come out to a meeting about the Bible, all that you have to do is advertise that you're going to predict when the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. Or when the so-called rapture, pre-tribulation rapture, is going to take place. I once heard of a book that sold thousands of copies. And this book was titled, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come Back in 1988, or something like that. It may not have been that exact title, but it was something to that effect. And for whatever reason, people generally like to place their ears onto this type of teaching or this type of material or their eyes onto this type of material. And if you hold a seminar on understanding the sacrificial substitutionary atonement of the Messiah or the person of the Messiah, people don't seem to be interested in deep theological or Christological concepts. People are instead worried about end-time prophecy. And I do believe that prophecy is important. I don't want you to get me wrong. I've studied a lot in the book of Daniel. I've taught several sermons through the book of Daniel and some a lot less in the book of Revelation chapter 13. And so I enjoy studying prophecy and enjoy teaching about it. But I do not study that area of the Bible nearly as much as I study the issues of, let's say, theology, Christology or soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And I also do not study prophecy as much as I spend time studying the law of Yahweh. See, I believe that if I am serving, if I am dedicated to Yahweh with all of my heart and all of my strength, that no matter how end-time prophecy pans out, so to speak, I'm going to be protected by my Heavenly Father. And so if Yahweh chooses to send His Son, Yeshua the Messiah, back in my lifetime, I need to be worried about being a slave to Yahweh. And not so much about the exact moment, the day, or the hour of the return of the Messiah. I think people get things out of priority. So I do think prophecy matters, and it's important, as all biblical doctrine is. But I think that something is wrong when books like the 88 Reasons book sell thousands, and a book on theology or Christology sits gathering dust on the shelf of a Christian bookstore. I think people have gotten their priorities out of order. And so this is a very, very odd point. While there are many people in the world today who are overly concerned with prophecy or prophetic events, so few of those people recognize some extremely important prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures that speak of Yahweh's law having a prominent place in the New Covenant. Now, if you're a good Bible student, then you know that there are some great prophetic chapters in the Old Testament, like Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. Those are messianic in scope, and they foretell of Israel's Messiah, the Messiah 
that Yahweh would send. But I want to ask you this question. Do you know of the prophecies that speak of Yahweh's law being a part of the new covenant? What exactly is the new covenant, might I ask? Now, I've asked this question to so many people over the past 10 to 15 years or so, and I have yet to get a scripturally correct response. Generally, when I ask people this question, the answers I get is, well, Matthew, the new covenant is Jesus. Or one man said, the new covenant is the book of Matthew to the book of Revelation. Another guy told me, it is the death of Christ. Another person told me, it is the resurrection of Christ. One man told me, it was faith. Now, all these answers are biblically based to some extent, but not a single one of them answers the question emphatically, specifically, and most importantly from the passage that speaks directly to the question. Let me tell you a little story, something that happened to me personally. I was working with a man that was younger than myself some years ago, and I began to talk with him about the subject of biblical law. I, I told him that he probably would consider himself to be a New Covenant Christian. I often tell people this when they remark to me after we talk. One of the remarks that I usually hear is, but Matthew, isn't that in the Old Testament or isn't that under the Old Covenant? Some elderly people sometimes will say, but wasn't that back in the Old Bible? As though it's primitive, archaic, out of date, and irrelevant to those living in the year 2012. My response generally is something like this. Oh, so you believe we're under the new covenant? And they shake their head yes or exclaim, yes, I do. And so I ask them, what is the definition of the new covenant? And I asked this young man that day, after he said vociferously that he was a new covenant Christian, I asked him, since he was a New Covenant Christian, could he explain to me what the New Covenant is, the biblical definition of the New Covenant? And at this point, we were in a really loud work truck, but it seemed like you could hear a pin drop. Now, after a couple of minutes, he looked at me and he said this, and I was very pleased with his statement, at least to some regard, because he said, Matthew, I don't know what the New Covenant is. And the reason that I was pleased with that is because he said it in a humble manner. He didn't try to make up a definition. He didn't try to act prideful. He didn't try to act like he really did know. He didn't get upset. He didn't get puffed up. He just humbled himself and said, you know what? I spoke out of turn. I shouldn't claim to be a New Covenant Christian because I really don't know what the New Covenant is. And so I gently responded to him by saying something like this. I can't remember the exact words, but I told him that I wasn't trying to be rude or mean to him by asking him that question. But I was just trying to make a point. I told him, I said, listen, man, you just got through assuring to me, nodding your head, that you are a New Covenant Christian. Don't you think that it's terrible that you claim to be a New Covenant Christian and you didn't even know what you were talking about? That might be some of you sitting out there tonight. You might be thinking, yes, I believe in the New Covenant. I'm a New Covenant Christian. I'm not an Old Covenant Christian. And it's a shameful thing if you claim that and you don't know the biblical definition of the New Covenant. 
You need to ask Yahweh to forgive you for your lack of study because it's very simplistic. It's not difficult to find out the definition. We're going to go to it here in just a second. And so what I did is I pulled the Bible out of the work truck. I always take a Bible with me in my work truck, the majority of the time at least. And I had a King James Version at that time. And I opened the Bible up to the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, where he could read the biblical definition of the New Covenant. And he opened it up to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 10. And I asked him if he would read it out loud. And he said this, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith Yahweh. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith Yahweh. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a mighty one, and they shall be to me a people. Hebrews 8, 7 through 10, King James Version. I think it's very plain. The New Covenant is specifically defined as Yahweh placing His laws upon the hearts and minds of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And that's another question that a lot of people get wrong is when you ask them, who was the New Covenant made with? And the Bible specifically says it was made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That is the two houses within the twelve-tribed nation of Israel. And that's for another subject at another time, which I will get into at a later date, but not this evening. Now, what makes Hebrews 8 even stronger is the fact that this is actually a quotation of an Old Covenant prophecy spoken about by Yahweh through his prophet, Jeremiah. You know him as Jeremiah. This section in Hebrews quotes Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Now, in this case, we find that Jeremiah was writing initially to the nation of Judah specifically, and in principle to the entire twelve tribes of Israel. But here's the point. When Jeremiah first told the Judahites these words, when he told them that the days were coming, back in his time, back in the time of the prophet Jeremiah, he said, the days are coming in which Yahweh will write his law upon your hearts. What law do you think those people had in their minds? What law do you think Jeremiah had in his mind? Well, can anyone honestly say that Jeremiah or the Judahite audience, the audience of the Yehudim, which is the Hebrew word for Judahite, would that audience have any other law in mind other than Yahweh's law that he gave through his prophet Moses? Well, the answer is extremely obvious. Yahweh was saying through the prophet, I will write my law. The law that is in effect at your time, Jeremiah, at your time, O nation or house of Judah, I will write that law on the hearts and minds of you, specifically your descendants, people that will come from your loins. That's where my law is going to be, on their hearts and on their minds. 
This time is called the New Covenant, as spoken of specifically by Yahweh through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, and then reiterated by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 8, verse 8. Now, most people do not even think of the New Covenant as a covenant of biblical law, much less a covenant of Mosaic law. And there's nothing wrong with the term Mosaic law. So long as you understand that it is not a separate law from the law of Yahweh. The Seventh-day Adventist church has a doctrine that teaches that the law of Yahweh, or the law of God as they call him, is still in effect. But the law of Moses is no longer in effect. And then they place whatever laws they choose to, other than the Ten Commandments, up under the category of the law of Moses. And so they wouldn't celebrate the feast days. They wouldn't believe in the tassels. They wouldn't believe in certain laws in the book of Leviticus, etc., etc. There's many places that I can show you that the law of Moses is the law of Yahweh. It's not a separate law. But I'll just go to one. This one is in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Here we have an instance where Miriam has already birthed the Master and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua the Messiah. And after the days of their purification according to Luke 2.22. And remember, according to the Torah in Leviticus chapter 12, we find that when a Israelite woman would birth a male child, that she would have to go through a 40-day purification. And then after the time of purification, she would come to the temple and present an offering. And in Luke 2.22, it says, And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to Yahweh. They were not presenting Yeshua to himself. They were presenting the Son of Yahweh to Father Yahweh. My point, though, is this. In verse 22, it says that they did this according to the law of Moses. And in verse 23, it says, Just as it is written in the law of Yahweh, every firstborn male will be dedicated to Yahweh. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of Yahweh, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Notice that this sacrificial law, this ceremonial aspect of Yahweh's law, is first referred to as the law of Moses in Luke 2.22. But in verses 23 through 24, the exact same law is referred to as the law of Yahweh. Or if you're reading an English Bible, the law of the Lord. So it's one and the same law. The reason it's called the law of Moses is because it was given through the mediation of the man Moses. So there's nothing wrong with calling the law of Yahweh the law of Moses, so long as you understand it properly. But the law of Moses, or the Mosaic law, is not generally looked upon as being intrinsic or a part of the new covenant. People at this point do not seem to be familiar with several texts in the New Testament. One that I will point out is Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 9a. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, quote, Am I saying this from a human perspective? And I'm reading out of the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible here. Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? 
for it is written in the law of Moses. And then he goes on to quote a passage in the book of Deuteronomy that talks about not muzzling the mouth of the ox. But Paul here in 1 Corinthians 9, 8 through 9, Paul made an appeal to the law of Moses. He made an appeal to the Mosaic law in order to prove a point that he was writing about. Now, when is the last time that you heard a Christian preacher make an appeal to the law of Moses in order to prove his point? Preachers don't make appeals to the law of Moses. They say that law has been done away with. It's archaic. It's primitive. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been, done away. it's been abrogated. They say all these things, none of which the scriptures say, but they say why? Because it has been handed down from them, from their father and their grandfather and in some cases, their great-grandfather. And as Jeremiah 16 says, our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. You should never believe something to be true just because your father or your grandfather or your great-grandfather taught it through your genealogical family or ancestry. Now, that doesn't mean that it's automatically wrong either. They could have taught you right, but it does not mean that it's automatically right. You must check it out by the scriptures, by the sacred writings. It is these which are able to make you wise into salvation through faith in the Messiah, Yeshua, as Paul wrote to Timothy in the book of First and Second Timothy. So the fact is that the prophecy in Jeremiah 31 has been neglected by the majority of people that profess to believe in the Bible. Do you know that sometimes I have told people it is easier to get people to believe what the Bible doesn't say than to get them to believe what the Bible does say. And that's a shame. And I believe that most people in the world that profess to be Christians, not all, but most, because they have never listened to true biblical teaching and true biblical preaching, but they have been dumbed down by so-called shepherds that are nothing more than greedy dogs that have sheared the sheep, trodden down the vine, that can never get enough, that are not out to help you spiritually, that are not out and keeping a watch after your soul, but would have more interest on your wallet or your pocketbook, brother or sister. And they make merchandise of people. This is what people are used to hearing. I was just listening briefly, just caught the tail end of a preaching broadcast yesterday evening. And it was a minister that was preaching nothing from the scriptures. And then when he got through preaching his message, he said, I want you to repeat these words after me. And then he told the audience, who was probably millions of people, hundreds of thousands at least, that if they prayed that prayer, he believed that they got born again. This man doesn't even know what it means to be born again. This man thinks that salvation is some kind of flu shot or magic potion or magic formula that comes from the vocal cords whereby you repeat a prayer and you're saved? This is not biblical teaching. This is not biblical preaching. But Paul did write to Timothy that in the latter times people would depart from the faith and they would give their ear over because they had an itch to hear something new or something different. They would give their ear over to a numerous amount, a multitude of teachers. And they would turn their ears from the truth and they would be turned unto fables. But Paul told Timothy, preach what? Anecdotes, little stories, little quips? No. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. 
and be instant in season and out of season. And the meaning of that in season and out of season is when it's seasonable and when it's not seasonable, when it's popular and when it's not popular. You do not preach to please people. You preach the truth. And yes, you do it in love. You do it in care for the people. But the reason you preach the truth is because you do care for the people. And there really is a kingdom of heaven, and there really is a place called Gehenna, translated as hell. Yeshua talked about hell more than anybody else. The lake of fire, Gehenna is the word that he used. He mentioned it about 12 times in his ministry. And most people will go there, and one of the reasons that they will go there, that is Gehenna, is because of false prophets that come on TV and radio today that don't know anything about teaching the Bible and that should spend more time studying and praying and reading their Bible than they do preaching because they're not authorized and not qualified and not apt to teach the Word of Yahweh. They're not. And it is a crying shame the way that you hear some of these men speak today. It is a joke. They're fleecing the flock of their money. They're not teaching the Word. They're not doing exposition on the text of Scripture and exegesis, applying proper hermeneutical principles to the scriptural text. They don't do any of that. It's just read one line out of the Bible and then flip it out of its context and talk about your life stories for an hour, have an altar call, get people to repeat some words, and then pronounce them to be saved in spite of the lifestyle that they go out and continue to live. And not only should the preachers be ashamed, but you should be ashamed if you're one of the people that listens to them. Don't just think that the teacher will undergo judgment. Now, he will, and he'll undergo a stricter judgment. But according to Matthew 15, Yeshua says that if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Yeshua told his disciples, Leave them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. Every plant that my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be plucked up. So if you are a blind follower of a blind leader, you're going to end up in the same ditch that that blind leader is going to end up in. And I say this because I love you. Leviticus 19, 17 through 18 says, Do not hate your brother in your heart. You shall in any wise rebuke your neighbor and not suffer sin to come upon him. Oh, brothers and sisters, wake up to the truth of the Scriptures. Wake up to Yahweh's Word. Wake up to everything that the Father has to say to us. There is coming a day of judgment, and I don't know when that day is going to be. And I'm not just talking about in relation to the end time. I'm talking about in your own personal life. You do not know if you're promised tomorrow in my own immediate family. I've had not one, but two, two unexpected deaths happen where my family members were here one day and gone the next. And if that is you and you die outside of the Messiah, outside of believing in the Father and His precious sinless Son, you will awake to judgment. You who had pleasure in unrighteousness, and did not love the ways of the Almighty Yahweh. People neglect prophecies like Jeremiah 31. They're more worried about prophecies that concern the Antichrist or the mark of the beast than they are seeing a prophecy that directly relates to the continuance of the law of Moses. And I'm not saying that prophecies that pertain to the anti-Messiah or the mark of the beast are wrong to study. I think you should study them. 
But did you know that within the teachings of the anti-Messiah, within the teachings of the man of sin, which the phrase man of sin is just another name for the anti-Messiah, and the anti-Messiah is in the book of 1 John a plurality of people, but it is also a singular people. It refers to the anti-Messiah in the singular in the book of 1 John and not only the plural. And he's called the beast in Revelation 13, and he's called the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2, and he's called the little horn in Daniel chapter 7 through 9. And one of the things that the man of sin does is he is a deceiver with his signs and his wonders. You should not follow after a sign or a wonder. Did you know that the false prophets can perform great signs and wonders? Matthew 24, 24. He says, There will arise false anointed ones, and they will show great signs and wonders, insomuch as if it were possible, it would deceive the very elect. And notice that in 2 Thessalonians 2, he's called the man of sin. What is sin? Sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of Yahweh's law. So he is the man of lawlessness, not the man of lawfulness, but the man of lawlessness. He has no law. He's the man without Torah. He's the man without the teachings and the instructions of Yahweh. So any preacher that you hear that teaches you to go away from the law of Yahweh, they might not be the man of lawlessness, but they very well are a man of lawlessness if they teach you to violate the commandments of Yahweh or if they say, don't worry about that. You don't need to listen to that. You don't need to follow that. That was in the old Bible. That was for then. That's not for anything now. And Yahweh says, I do not change in Malachi chapter 3. And that means my plan doesn't change. My morality doesn't change. My essence doesn't change. Everything about me doesn't change. I do not change my mind. When it comes to a commandment, I give it and it is set. You've got to get interested in learning to love our Father's righteous, just law. 1 John 2, 2 through 4, He that saith he knoweth him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I am here to tell you tonight that there are many professing Christians that according to 1 John chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, they are liars. And that might be you this evening. Because you say that you love the Heavenly Father, but you don't want to do His law. If you have been regenerated by the power of the set-apart Spirit of Almighty Yahweh, according to the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27, Yahweh says through the prophet that He puts His Spirit within you, and that Spirit is not opposed to His Torah. That spirit causes you to follow in the laws of Almighty Yahweh. He says, I will cause you to observe my law. I will cause you to keep my statutes. You will be made clean because I will make you clean. You cannot have a relationship with Yahweh that is pure, true, holy, and just unless it is a relationship that you have with His teachings and His instructions. They have not been done away with. The grace of Almighty Yahweh is not a license for you to go about and do anything that you want to do. 
and it is doing nothing more than trampling right through the blood of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of Almighty Yahweh. You're trampling through that fresh blood. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 says that people that despise the law of Moses, they died without mercy out of the mouth of two or more witnesses. And how much worse of a punishment shall you be thought worthy of who has trodden underfoot the blood of the Son of Yahweh and has counted that blood that you were sanctified with an unworthy thing and has done despite to the Spirit of His grace. Brothers and sisters, you have got to get a hold of the truth of the law of Almighty Yahweh. It is not going away. His prophets and His teachers are crying out in these last days. And I'm not claiming to be anything. I'm nothing. Yahweh will allow His true message to go on if I die tonight after I get through with this broadcast. His message will go on because He will raise people up to teach it in these days that we live in right now. If you have any animosity towards the law of Yahweh, you need to wake up and repent. That means turn away from your wickedness. Say, Yahweh, forgive me. Forgive me for thinking evil of your law. Forgive me for not wanting to keep your Sabbath. Forgive me for not wanting to eat clean. Forgive me for not wanting to keep the feast days. Not wanting to love my neighbor. Forgive me for stealing. Forgive me for committing physical adultery, heart adultery, sexual immorality. All of these abominations. Forgive me for taking your name in vain. You ask Yahweh to forgive you and you repent. And if Yahweh puts His Spirit within you, you won't be able to help but keep His holy law. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.